This report is based on a recent thread by Kim.com that I believe is important for people to be aware of. Last June, puppet President Volodymyr Zelensky warned the public that Russia was planning to attack the Zaporizhia nuclear power plant in Ukraine. There is now talk in Kiev that the real president of Ukraine, Victoria Nuland, has become so desperate for NATO troops to enter Ukraine and continue this U.S. proxy war against Russia that she is willing to murder innocent locals with a radioactive cloud and blame it on Russian forces. And if you know about Victoria Newland and the government she works for, then this is absolutely a possibility. Independent journalist Gonzalo Lira, who was arrested and left to die in his jail cell by Newland's forces, did an excellent job describing Victoria Newland and the United States agenda in Ukraine. I highly recommend watching the entire thing. But here is my short edit. Victoria Newland is carrying out a policy which is very, very, very simple. The American goal, foreign policy goal, is to have a weak and preferably divided Russia. A Russia like the good old days in the 90s. Because in the 90s, after the collapse of the Soviet Union, the United States was able to enter Russia and exploit it to a degree that is unprecedented. Ukraine, since 1991, the collapse of the Soviet Union, has been a cesspool of Western corruption. Oligarchs were not only allowed to rise, but were in fact encouraged to rise by the Western powers, in particular the United States, because the United States figured that by way of these oligarchs, these countries could be controlled. If Russia was corrupt, if Ukraine was corrupt, it would be easy for Western interests to go into these countries and steal. When Putin arose, the people in the West thought, oh, he's one of our guys. But what they discovered, to their dismay, was that when Putin took power in roughly 1999, he cut a deal with his oligarchs. You stay out of politics and I'll stay out of your grift. But what happened was that slowly over the years, Putin started edging out the oligarchs. And even as he put in his own oligarchs, he started making those oligarchs smaller and weaker, which is what he's been doing for the past 23 years. Had Putin not existed in Russia, Russia would be what Ukraine is today. Americans started realizing this in the late 2000s, early 2010s. They started realizing that Putin was subtly resisting them, resisting their attempts to turn Russia into a whore. These Ukrainian extremists, they hate ethnic Russians. And that fits very neatly with Newland. Because Newland, throughout her career, she has always allied herself with groups that were extremely antagonistic towards Russians. She's always allied herself with people who hate Russians. When the Maidan revolution started, she supported the right sector. She micromanaged the Maidan revolution, and that implicated her. When uh, Poroshenko came to power, the, the next president, she made sure that that government abused the Russians. And of course, she made sure that the Ukrainian army started getting seriously supplied with weapons, and she used that Ukrainian army, and she micromanaged this, to attack the Donbass. You have to understand that in a very real sense, Victoria Nuland has been president of Ukraine since 2014. And so the weapons flowed into Ukraine from starting in 2014 after the coup d'etat. She brought in the um, the weapons. She's like the nexus 
of all these different interests that want to exploit Ukraine and use Ukraine to attack Russia with the ultimate goal of breaking up Russia and bringing back the good old days of the 90s, the good old days for the Westerners, the very, very bad old days for the Russians. The Russians don't want a repeat of the 90s. That was traumatic for them, as it would for any country. Word on the street is that the current commander-in-chief of Ukrainian forces isn't up for the task of attacking their own nuclear power plant. And so Newland is looking to replace him with Budinov, who will become the next Zelensky if he commits this war crime for the U.S. State Department. If these rumors are being considered by Russia, you can expect a major push to take control of Ukraine before it's too late. Greg Reese reporting. That is the latest from Greg Reese. Find and share it at band.video. And of course... In a five-minute report, you can really just barely scratch the surface. I suggest just going to Victoria Newland's Wikipedia page and start clicking around. See what you find. It's, uh, it's horrifying. It's Tuesday, January 23rd in the year of 2024. And you're listening to The American Journal with your host, Harrison Smith. Watch it live right now at band.video. I think it's time to blow this. Good morning, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to The American Journal. I am your host, Harrison Smith. Very happy to be with you here this Tuesday morning. Can't believe it's only Tuesday. It's been a, it's been a long week already for yours truly. I was up late last night doing a podcast. I don't know if I can tell you about it. InfoWars is coming out with a new podcast. Let's just say that. It'll be dropping within the next uh, couple of weeks. So it was very fun, but I was up very late. And then, of course, doing the Sunday night show before this. It's been a long week. A lot of news. We got a lot of stories to get to, a lot of videos to go to as well. I don't know how we're going to jam them all in here because we will be joined by Brandon Weikert in the next hour, the 9 o'clock hour. We'll be joined by him to talk about some of the goings-on geopolitically. And then, of course, we are simulcasting live. We're doing a little bit different today, the Twitter spaces. We are live on spaces. If you're hearing me now on Twitter spaces, hello, welcome. Stay tuned, because we are going to go out to spaces and phone calls in the third hour. But until then, uh, enjoy this Twitter space as a podcast until then. But if you want to talk, you can go ahead and leave a comment, request to speak, and we will go out to Twitter spaces later in the show. And who knows, maybe if we have a, a special appearance in the Twitter space by a friend of the show, we can jump over to them on a moment's notice. But we're doing a little bit differently today. Up till now, we've been hosting them on, on my Twitter account at Harrison H. Smith, and I've been running it. But today we've got Chase in the control room running the space from the InfoWars uh, account. So if you want to follow on Spaces and participate in the conversation there, again, that is the beautiful part of Spaces is that uh, you can actually, like, you know, you've been leaving comments. It works like a comment section or a live comment section for a live stream. So any anything I talk about you want to add to or provide links for or whatever, you can participate by going and following at InfoWars or you can find it. I'm co-hosting it uh, at Harrison H. Smith. And if you do want to talk again, leave a comment about what you want to talk about and uh, request to speak. And then we'll bring you on again in the third hour. But this first hour, we're going to try to show you a lot of videos, talk about this, uh, the breaking news over the last 24 hours, some very interesting 
developments around the world. And then Brian, uh, Brandon uh, Weikert in the next hour. But let's just get into it, shall we? Here it is, your Daily Dispatch. All right, here it is, folks, your Daily Dispatch for Tuesday, the 23rd of January, 2024. Supreme Court allows Border Patrol agents to remove razor wire Texas installed at Mexico border. A closely divided Supreme Court on Monday allowed Border Patrol agents to cut through or move razor wire Texas installed on the U.S.-Mexico border as part of the state's effort to prevent illegal border crossings. The court, on a 5-4 to four vote, granted an emergency request filed by the Biden administration, which had argued that Texas was preventing agents from carrying out their duties. What is there even to say about this? Obviously, the correct response, in my opinion, is the same response that Andrew Jackson gave to the Supreme Court when they decided against him, and it was, that was the Supreme Court's decision, now let them enforce it. In other words, yeah, I'm just going to keep doing this. I'm just going to keep doing, we're just going to keep defending our border. That should be the correct answer. This makes no sense. This is ridiculous. It was Amy Comey, Amy Coney Barrett, I believe, as well as Roberts, who went with the leftist on this one. A brief order noted that four conservative members of the nine justice court would have rejected the government's request. They were Clarence Thomas, Samuel Alito, Neil Gorsuch, and Brett Kavanaugh. The Biden administration says the wire prevents agents from reaching migrants who have already crossed over the border into the U.S. Okay, well, that sounds like you should have an order to move the wire closer then. I mean, that should be the order. The order should be that you should move the wire maybe to the Mexico side of the border and then make Mexico come try to remove the razor wire. A White House spokesperson on Monday said Texas's political stunts, like protecting the border, you know, these political stunts, like doing the basic function of government. So this is a political stunt, apparently. Texas political stunts, like placing razor wire near the border, simply make it harder and more dangerous for frontline personnel to do their jobs, to invade America to participate in and facilitate the human trafficking network that is currently swamping every city in America, including Chicago and New York, as well as, of course, everywhere in Texas. Again, I mean, we can just go on and on about the absurdity of all of this. Suffice it to say that it's pretty amazing. It's pretty amazing how quickly the government can act when it's in their own interests. And it's the case of all bureaucracies, right? If you want to do something, it's red tape and precedent and bureaucratic things, you know, limitations that are in the way. But then the people operating the bureaucracy want something done. All of that seems to go away. It all dissolves into the air as they just do whatever, whenever with extreme rapidity. So typically... Supreme Court case, you're talking about months down the line. You're talking about some will get to this sometime next year if we can squeeze it in. But when it's the Biden administration desperately trying to continue the overwhelming invasion at our southern border, well, they get a decision the next day. Isn't that something? And again, we'll touch on this a little bit later. People commenting on it, the story at InfoWars. This is not over. Governor Abbott vows to defend Texas's sovereignty after U.S. Supreme Court sanctions invasion. And that's the right way to put it. They have approved the invasion. They've said that 
according to the federal government, Texas is not allowed to defend its own border. It has to remain open for the federal operation of bringing in millions upon millions of people from every country in the world. Insane, completely insane. Abbott said, quote, this is not over. Following this five to four SCOTUS decision Monday, allowing Border Patrol agents to cut razor wire barriers in Eagle Pass, Governor Abbott said he remained committed to combating illegal immigration in the state, saying this is not over. Texas's razor wire is an effective deterrent to the illegal crossings Biden encourages. I will continue to defend Texas's constitutional authority to secure the border and prevent the Biden administration from destroying our property. So does that mean he's not allowing them to cut the wire? That's what that would mean if he was is really actually intending to fulfill such a, a strident statement, then he should fight back. And what does that mean if he says we, we will continue to defend our border, but we are going to let them come and cut the razor wire? I mean, that makes no sense. Likewise, Texas Attorney General Ken Paxton noted the Supreme Court's temporary order allows Biden to continue his illegal effort to aid the foreign invasion of America saying in full, quote, the Supreme Court's temporary order allows Biden to continue his illegal effort to aid the foreign invasion of America. The destruction of Texas's border barriers will not help enforce the law or keep American citizens safe. This fight is not over, and I look uh, forward to defending our state's sovereignty. Yeah, again, we'll get into this a little bit later. Uh, Tucker Carlson made a, a tweet about this that we'll get into and respond to. And understand that this is the solution to this is a political one in that if the right political leader was governor, was in the place of commander in chief of the Texas National Guard, they could just give the order to not allow this. And the Supreme Court can say whatever the hell they want if they're not willing to send federal agents to actually physically, bodily fight the Texas National Guard, then they'll succeed, right? The Texas National Guard can just shut the border and the orders would be perfectly lawful, right? You'd say, go defend the border, arrest trespassers, put them through deportation processing, uh, but defend the border, don't let anybody cross, erect the uh, razor wire. And if anybody tries to interrupt you, they are getting in the way of and preventing the lawful execution of an order or the execution of a lawful order, and they should be arrested and charged. doesn't matter if they're the Border Patrol agents that are doing it. That doesn't matter. Just because somebody's a cop doesn't mean you don't arrest them. If they show up at a crime scene and start destroying evidence, it doesn't matter if they're a cop, right? It doesn't matter if their lieutenant said, oh, go, uh, go cover this crime up. Go help the criminals you know, perpetrate this. doesn't matter if they're in uniform. doesn't matter if they're told to do this by the authorities above them. They're engaged in a criminal activity, aiding and abetting the breaking of the law, and they should be arrested as well. And if, again, if the, if the feds want to fight the Texas National Guard, uh, they can start it. But I saw people, again, we'll, we'll have to save it for later because uh, that the whole Tucker Carlson... Um, conversation where he says right, should we just get into it now we'll just talk all right we'll talk about it in a second because we'll, we'll go to the we'll finish up the daily dispatch first but people are acting like the texas national guard is just going to spontaneously decide on its own volition to fight the federal government 
It's like, that's, it's not going to happen. That's never going to happen. This is, this is sort of the, this is sort of the damned if you do, damned if you don't, two-sided sword between a rock and a hard place kind of situation we find ourselves in because our military is extremely capable, obviously, but also extremely honorable and loyal and obedient. So they're not about to disobey orders even if it means, you know, defending the border as obviously they're directed to by the law, they're not just going to do that independently. They're going to follow orders. They're going to stick to the chain of command. They're going to try to carry out the objectives that they're given from their superiors. So it's like, it's almost like if we were just a, if we were just a wild west anarchy, yeah, maybe battalions of men would just go, ah, screw you. We're going to go defend the border. That's not going to happen nowadays because our guys are too good. Our boys are too obedient. Piedra Negra or whatever. A joint statement issued by the Pentagons confirm an additional round of proportionate and necessary strikes against the cartels. It'd be nice. Like, it's just you use the same language, the same actions. It's just the difference would be, for one thing, it would be closer in, uh, you know, it'd be people, you know, within eyesight of the American uh, border. So it's, you know, for the sheep out there who don't even probably don't even know we're bombing Yemen, like they don't give a damn. It would be very scary for them, and and they would be very mad that this is happening in their awareness. You know, so they wouldn't like that. But you know, it could be effective. It could be efficient. It could uh, we could secure the border, stop the invasion? So the difference between what we're doing with the Yemenis in uh, the Houthis in Yemen and bombing the Mexican cartels is one of those has to do with American sovereignty and national security. And the other one is bombing the Houthis. Moving on, Nikki Haley sweeps the first New Hampshire primary votes in midnight tradition. I literally thought this was a joke when I first read it, because apparently the first place that votes in New Hampshire is called Dixville Notch. Okay, that's what, uh, as, as Dixville Notch goes, so goes New Hampshire. That's where former South Governor, uh, Governor Nikki Haley will be hoping after the tiny village near the Canadian border carried on its five-decade-old tradition of midnight voting early Tuesday. All six eligible voters in the precinct, four registered Republicans and two undeclared voters, pulled the lever for Haley, 52, who is desperate for a shock victory in the Granite State to halt what many observers see as former President Trump's unstoppable march to the GOP nomination so i kind of love how it's like nikki haley sweeps the voting it's like how many people voted oh six she got six votes she got six votes in new hampshire oh trump's shaking in his boots now i mean it is weird it is weird that she got one vote so to get six out of six there's something in the water in Dixville Notch. There is something weird with those people. You know, it's almost like one of those things where it's like a Groundhog's Day tradition where they see if, you know, if someone wins Dixville Notch that, you know, they'll close out the primaries. They're the first to vote in New Hampshire. I remember going there with Richard Reeves. I don't think Trump won Dixville Notch last time in 2016. So last time he primaried in the state so so i just remember, to it, show you so is everybody else voting today and they just voted midnight yeah dixville notch is the is the first precinct to report for new hampshire so yeah everyone else is voting today in 2016 trump was edged out in dixville notch three to two by yeah. a high governor oh by john Kasich. 
Yeah, that's okay. what I'm saying. All they, right, they, they always try to be edgy. They don't want to, you know, by, by not going with the populist candidate, right? Okay. By not going with the most popular people, they're trying to be edgy, edgy, right? Like, oh, yeah, we think uh, this second place person's going to be great. Yeah. Yeah, Nikki Haley, wouldn't she be a breath of fresh air? Hey, when she drops out, we'll know that she's popular among six people, though. Yeah. Hey, she maybe she can retire in Dixville. Dixville Notch. Anyway, moving on. In Gaza, 24 Israeli soldiers have been killed in the... Don't you love the way CNN reports this? This is the headline from CNN. Tell me if you, tell me if you see something wrong with this statement. Gaza, 24 Israeli soldiers killed on deadliest day of the war. Deadliest day of the war. Deadliest day during Gaza conflict. Does that mean that like a whole bunch of people were bombed and 24 Israeli soldiers? Or is this some sort of <laughs> is this some sort of weird Talmudic reading of human life where it's like 24 Israelis died. It's the deadliest day of the Gaza conflict. It's like, well, 200 Palestinians died yesterday. And they're like, yeah, we know. This is the first time that 24 human lives have been destroyed in Gaza since the fighting began. It's, it's, it's weird. It's a weird way to phrase it. 24 Israeli soldiers killed on the deadliest day of the war for Israel. For Israel is the part that they left off that because the deadliest day of the war for Gaza is hundreds of people dying all at once. It's hundreds of innocent civilians dying. So this wasn't the deadliest day of the war. It was deadliest day of the war if you only consider Israeli soldiers to be human. <laughs> I mean, it's just, it's a weird thing for them to say. 24 Israeli soldiers were killed during fighting in southern Gaza on Monday. The military said in the deadliest day for its troops inside the battered enclave since the war with Hamas began. That's the, that's the correct way to put it. The deadliest day for its troops. But again, it's just, I don't, it's weird, man. It's weird. You know, 10,000 children in 100 days, that's 100 children a day on average killed in Gaza. So on average, 100 children a day are killed by Israeli airstrikes and snipers and starvation and uh, lack of nutrition and, um, you know, just disease and, and being trapped under rubble and suffocating to death. So not the deadliest day of the war, as every day has been five times as deadly as this day for the Gazans. But if you only count Israeli soldiers this as, as being human lives worthy of uh, noticing then yes, this was the deadliest day in the Gaza war. 21 soldiers were killed in one incident, removing structures and terrorist infrastructure, the IDF said in a statement when a rocket-propelled grenade was fired towards a tank protecting the unit. Two two-story buildings then collapsed following an explosion, which was likely caused by explosives that had been laid by the Israeli troops. Uh-oh, inside job. It was an inside job. Well, somebody got a kill streak on this one. On Monday, the Hamas-controlled health ministry in Gaza said the number of Palestinians killed in Israeli attacks in Gaza since October 7th has risen to 25,295, with at least 63,000 injuries recorded. A tank tank attack came as Israel seemingly shifts into a new phase of fighting in the embattled enclave, with the IDF pulling out some soldiers from Gaza and officials promising a less intense, more targeted approach. (laughs) Yeah, now that everything is gone, you have to actually target the the few things that are left maybe that's what they mean it's it's more targeted in the sense that 
we have to actually find the living beings within the rubble. It was your first, we created the rubble sort of a saturation campaign, genocide style bombing. And now we have to go and find the survivors for elimination. Incredible. And so of course they are, um, Hamas is fighting back and hardly weakened at all, and the entire campaign has done very little to diminish their fighting capabilities whatsoever uh, because that was never the goal, the killing of civilians and the creation of terror within the civilian population in order to drive them from the land to displace and uh, displace them from Gaza to eventually annex it into Israel has always been the primary intention of this military operation, and um, that's that. Finally, we have this. In and Out Burger closing only Oakland location due to crime wave. In and Out Burger has announced the decision to close the company's only location in Oakland, California, citing violent crime and thefts affecting employees and guests, according to a report. Despite being profitable, store number 193 will permanently close its doors on March 24th after more than 18 years in business, potentially making it the first eatery to ever be shut down by the wildly popular West Coast based chain. And what's interesting about this, obviously, lots and lots and lots of companies have fled areas of California because of the rampant, uncontrolled, unrestrained even crime that has made continuing business there untenable. But In-N-Out is sort of the first one to just directly lay it at the feet of the Democrats and say, this is your fault. It's the crime. We can't handle the crime that you're creating, so we're leaving now. Other places will say, uh, because of the changes to the economic circumstance, we've decided to, and in and out, it's like, uh, it's all the crime. It's the crime and the criminals and the crazy leadership that's on their side and not ours. So we're leaving now. Goodbye. You know, uh, Sorry about taking away all of the incredibly high-paying and you know, comfortable jobs. Uh, but you can't have nice things when you're run by criminals. 29 years on air, all I've wanted to do was warn the people about the globalist. And I've done the best job I can to tell the truth and been accurate, and we are on record as the most accurate there are. And I've tried to sell products to fund ourselves, unlike other communist revolutionaries that rob banks and kidnap people. We don't do that. We try to bring you products that really work. And ladies and gentlemen, I'm scared of this product. It's so powerful. This is the breakdown product after your cells process it of folic acid, methylfolate with high quality organic B complex. This stuff is rocket fuel. It's not a stimulant, it energizes your cells, and then everything else you take just supercharges it. It's so insane. It's foundational energy, the strongest formula out there at InfoWarsStore.com. It doesn't just energize this operation against the tyrants, it energizes you. Get foundational energy now. InfoWars.com is tomorrow's news today. You're listening to The American Journal with your host, Harrison Smith. Watch it live right now at band.video. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. This is The American Journal. Thanks so much for joining us. If you're joining us on Spaces, make sure you request to speak if you want to, but we are not going to be opening up the, the floor to other speakers until the third hour, doing things a little bit differently today. But you can go follow the uh, at InfoWars account uh, for Spaces, which I just think is, if anything, just a convenient way to listen to the show. You can just have it on the background as you 
peruse Twitter or uh, go to other apps. So just listen, tune in for now, and then we'll uh, take your take your calls, take your spaces requests. Uh, a little bit later in the show, we'll be joined by Brandon Weikert in the next hour. Uh, talk about all sorts of geopolitical goings on. I have a lot of videos I could go to. Again, since we are going to be taking calls and since we'll be joined uh, by Brandon Weikert, I'm just trying to figure out what I should, what, what's the most important things to cover since we're not going to have infinite time to get to all of it. But I think for the sake of recapturing 2016 energy, we, we need to listen to Trump. We need to hear from Trump. We need to receive the reports from our commander in chief. Our general has given another speech and in case you missed it, it was very much in 2016 form. Trump giving a rally in New Hampshire yesterday with Vivek Ramaswamy, as well as a number of other um, conservatives from the state. And, I mean, this, this partnership, Vivek and Trump, this is, this is what we've needed. This is what we've required. I would love to see Vivek as the vice president I, I wouldn't put my money on it i wouldn't put my money on it trump's probably going to be very strategic in his choice for vice president i think ron DeSantis even has a better job a better chance of getting the job than vivek If you wanted to know my thoughts on it, uh, that's the speculation. Lots of people wondering about uh, who the VP pick is going to be the most important decision that a candidate makes prior to the presidency. As after all, they can't just be an accoutrement. They can't just be an accessory, which I feel like is, is a lot of the ways people think about the VP where it's like, well, Trump's a white man, so he better get a black guy or a woman to be vice president. Because they're like the accessory. He's got to like round out the outfit. It's like, no, he's got to pick somebody who's ready at a moment's notice to step into the biggest job in the history of the world, president of the United States. They cannot be chosen for their characteristics like gender or race. That's unacceptable. And maybe I'm, maybe I'm unique or, or out of the ordinary in that, but I remember... I was not a fan of McCain for a lot of reasons, right? The warmongering, the fact he's John McCain. There were a lot of reasons to not vote for John McCain. But to me, what really put it over the top was when he picked Sarah Palin because it was such an obvious, obvious and obviously cynical pandering choice. So it's like, okay, here's the first and most important choice you're going to make as candidate. And you decide to make that choice to, to pander to women, to try to, again, cynically and stupidly get a, get the women's vote because women vote for women, I guess. I mean, it's just, it's like, okay, if you're going to basically, you know, risk, you're, you know, you're McCain, you're John McCain, you're an old crippled man, you might not make it through the presidency. So you're going to stick us with Sarah Palin because you wanted to pander. That's the choice you made. It's like, okay, if that's the choice you make, then you can't be trusted to be making decisions for the nation because you're going to make bad decisions. So I wonder if other people uh, feel similarly, where it's like, if you're going to make this 
incredibly important decision. In other words, making the decision of who may very well be the president of the United States should something happen to you. And you're going to just try to like do it to scrounge up a few more votes. And well, then you can't be trusted with these big decisions. So I hope Trump makes a good decision. I hope he picks somebody that we would be happy with having as our president. So let's go to some of these, uh, clips of president Trump. We'll go to clip 15 first. Trump in his element. I'm talking about how much he loves Vivek. Let's watch. And this I do for Vivek because he's very big into it. I happen to agree with him, but he said, could you mention this? I will never. She said, I love Vivek. We, I love him too. Now I didn't love him when he was running, but I like him now. It's amazing the way you can like somebody when you win, right? But Vivek is great. He's really great. But he wanted this, and I'll give him full credit for it. It's very important, actually. I will never allow the creation of a central bank digital currency. Uh-huh. I think we can all just give up a prayer of Thanksgiving that President Trump, but any presidential candidate in America, would so forcefully go against one of the primary pillars of control that the global elite are trying to saddle on the people of the world. It's strange that we're even at this point. You never would have thought that the InfoWars message would break through and that the globalist prison planet designs would become a main talking point of presidential candidacies. But that's where we are now. And I think InfoWars can take a, a pretty large chunk of the credit for getting us to this point but of course vivek has his own you know i mean he's the one he's the one that's doing this and again i really think that this is showing that the legal attacks against trump are successfully distracting him from the most important topics and so now you've got vivek in there educating him on this stuff it's like vivek can be the idea guy he can be the 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 planner the operator behind the scenes and trump can be the orator and the the head who you know takes the advice of his aide de camp Vivek. I mean, this is the this is the couple. This is the power couple that we need. Here's a uh, clip. Sixteen. President Trump is the anti-war candidate. Again, he talk, he just talks about war in a way that sounds a hell of a lot more like an Infowars program than an American president, at least any president in the recent past, and certainly very differently than the sort of neocon war is a is a grand adventure type of talking points you get from the likes of nikki haley so here's president trump showing once again he may be the only human in the race let's watch and by the way now we're getting involved again in the middle east look what's happening you're getting involved here we go again with the middle east we spent nine trillion dollars killed millions of people including our side their side millions of people Nine trillion dollars. You know what we got? Nothing. What? Nothing. You got death. You got blood. You got nothing. And it just, we spent our blood and our treasure, as they say. Our blood and our treasure. And our blood is more important than our treasure. And it's a shame. It's a shame. I beat ISIS. You're right. Thank you for telling me that. You're right. <laughs> I was getting to that, but it, he's very good. He's sharp this way. Thank you. We did. We beat the hell out of ISIS. They, it was supposed to take four to five years. We got it done in four months, I'd say. Four months. 
100% of the ISIS caliphate. Of course, ISIS is back now and it's attacking Iran and Syria. And um, that's all very suspicious. Don't you love it, though? We got nothing but death and blood. We have to have him back. We have to get him back. (laughs) Please, for the love of God. He's not somebody that's just like Nikki Haley. Just like, well, we got to got to start another world war everyone <laughs> won't that be fun we're gonna make so much money trump's like uh what about the human beings what about the misery and the death and the chaos and the money like what about all of the horrible things about war anybody want to talk about that again he's like he's like the only human that is running for president or even a politician We may go to more clips of that in just a second, but we've got a lot of other stories to go to as well. Remember to go support us at InfoWarsStore.com. It's the only way that we get funding. InfoWarsStore.com. Stay tuned. Quick commercial break, and we're back for our final segment of the 8 o'clock hour. You know, I sit up here and I yell and scream about the New World Order and the globalists. They're planning to get rid of the borders and release a virus and have a global power grab, and you saw it all come true. But there's a inverse of that. There's not just the bad stuff I'm telling you about. There's the good stuff I'm telling you about. And just like our information is the best you're going to find out there, our supplements are amazing. So our new special in the last half of January 2024 is here. It's Real Red Pill Plus and DNA Force Plus, both 50% off. We're calling it the Supercharged Special. You can get either one of these great items at 40% off individually or together for 50% off. Now, in the time we have left, I can't tell you why they're so great and what they do for your body. Go to InfoWarsStore.com, look at the ingredients and investigate it, and then get them. It supports the InfoWar and it'll change your life. Take advantage now, InfoWarsStore.com. The eugenicists over 100 years ago were very public about their plans. They financed major universities, they ran full-page stories and advertisements pushing their propaganda in the New York Times, other major newspapers, that the family as we know it is a bad thing and must be ended. And the first step in that is getting women out of the household and teaching women that cooking dinner and taking care of your sons and daughters and husbands is a bad thing. And I was just sitting here tonight making dinner for my daughter, my four and a half year old daughter. My wife makes dinner a lot of times, but I like to make it as well. I love to make breakfast. And literally, it's the funnest thing on earth to make food for your family and be nurturative and then all sit down together and have that communal event. And that's what the system is attacking and bombarding, is our normal biological actions are coming together. They really are sick, evil, scientific cult of filth that want to domesticate us and turn us into lab rats. We cannot let this continue. Listening to the American Journal. Watch it live right now at band.video. How you get so much favor on your side? Except the measure, Lord and Savior. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. Here's what we're gonna do. This episode of American Journal. Keep talking a little bit about domestic politics here. Trump and you know, respond to some some left uh, a question that a leftist has for us about uh, what it means to make America great again. Some other interesting stories to get to here in this segment. Then we'll be joined in the next hour by Brandon Weikert. So I'm saving some of the topics about uh, our upcoming world war. 
and Israel and, and other stuff like that to discuss with him as we get into the whole geopolitical chess game being set up right now. And then uh, I think in the third hour, we'll talk about the border. And that's the topic that will open up uh, to spaces and ask what we should be doing to fix the border. And that's, and we'll bring up uh, what Tucker Carlson said about it yesterday and the response to him. And, and there's a, a caravan that's going down to the border to try to draw attention to the catastrophe. So we'll cover all that in the third hour and take your calls on that topic. So if you are listening to us on spaces, again, if you're just, if you're just joining us, the spaces is going to be closed. It's just going to be sort of a podcast until the third hour, at which time we will open it up for other people to join in the conversation. We'll do a little round table, but uh, we got chases there in the, in the control room running the space with, from the InfoWars account. And uh, I assume chase, if, if you see, you know, a friend of the show pop up and want to say something, we can always, uh, we can always cut in. Cause that's the fun part about spaces is we'll get, you know, people who are guests of the shows, maybe popping in and wanting to say something. And that'll be very fun. Of course you can comment on the show or share information about what topics that we're covering uh, by commenting on the space itself. And that also helps to push the space out to other people. The more that Twitter, the algorithm sees that people are interacting with the space and sharing the space or sharing content on the, the thread of the space, then it pushes it out to more people and it grows the audience and it can be a real snowball effect. And again, we're just trying to take advantage of the changing media landscape and staying on the forefront of it, surfing on the crest of the technological wave. But let's get back to Donald Trump and Vivek Ramaswamy and the primary in New Hampshire. And what is at stake here and who our opponents in this contest are. I have like 10 videos of Trump just from yesterday. Again, really embodying that 2016 energy that's been so lacking up until now. And it's very fun to see. And Vivek, of course, just is like a multiplier of this energy, and it really is wonderful to see. Let's go to clip number 19 here, Trump Masterclass. He's going off on the left. Let's watch. Ding, 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 ding. They've only got 17 seconds to figure this whole thing out, right? 17, Q. Okay. Missile launch, ping, boom. It's the most un- <laughs> And we don't have it here. <laughs> He's talking about building an iron dome for America. But if there's one thing that can heal this nation, there's one thing that can unite Americans across class, color, creed, income bracket. It's Donald Trump doing sound effects. I think that's the one thing we can all unite on. Ding, 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 ding. Is hearing Donald Trump describe war with sound effects. It's very funny. And that's why people love him. Let's go to a couple clips of Vivek here. Clip number 20, Vivek, bring in the hopeful message that MAGA is really all about. Let's watch. You guys do your part. Come out on Tuesday night. End this primary right here. Off to defeat Joe Biden in November. And our best days as a nation are still yet ahead of us. Vote Trump and that's how we do this. God bless you and your families and our United States. Vote Trump. 
Our best days are still ahead of us, a message that is sorely lacking as the people in power are desperate to almost like like create the self-fulfilling prophecy where they're like, we want America to go down. We want America's best days to be behind them. So we have to convince America that there's no hope, that there's no there's no coming back. There's no America will be great again. Not only will you never be great, you never were great. You never were great. You never will be great. And they think if they can convince enough Americans of this, they'll believe it and then it will become true. But it's a self-fulfilling prophecy, just like the inverse is a self-fulfilling prophecy. If you believe that the greatness of America is not gone forever, like why would it be? This makes no sense. There's nothing about America right now and our situation that we find ourselves in as deplorable and, and despicable as it is. The government opening the border and the economy being terrible and as bad as that is, none of it's irreversible. None of it is permanent. None of it is a matter of natural decline that can't be resisted you just change the policies you just stop doing the things that are deliberately destroying us and we could be back on top in a week i'm serious we'll go to a final clip here again vivek spitting truth about how we are not in a political contest we are in fact smack dab in the modern form of war let's watch i love you back it's good to be back here we will Speak the truth and get this done. We are in the middle of a war in this country. It's not between black and white or even between most Democrats and Republicans. It is between those of us who love this country and a fringe minority who hates the United States of America and what we stand for. Between the permanent state and the everyday citizen. And right now we need a commander in chief who will lead us to victory in this war. That is this man standing right here. He's exactly right. And again, that needs to be the message. I mean, who would disagree with that? Who would disagree with that? It's a message that every, you know, crimson socialist should be able to agree with. We don't want to be ruled by an unelected, permanent, bureaucratic class who are literal vampires in that they survive on the blood of innocent victims. They are, they survive on war. War is their trade and their sustenance who wants these people in charge it's about returning sovereignty not just to america as a nation but to the people america the people of america as the authorities in this country who can disagree with this i'll I'll tell you who i will show you who i want to go to clip number six but i want to do something with this i want to play without audio first i'm not gonna tell you what she's saying i just want to show you who our enemies are okay we know who our enemies are let's go to clip number six here but let's play it without the audio let's bring the audio down and you tell me as you look at this woman does she seem like a nice woman does she seem like what she's saying is nice and kind and loving or does she look like a condescending rat does she look like a constipated rabbit these people are not healthy. They're not happy. They're not good. Here's what she's asking. Here's, and you can tell, like just from the visual alone, you can tell what she's saying is condescending and probably stupid. She's got what those in the medical industry call crazy eye. She's got the crazy eye where you see the whites of the eye above the pupil. It's what happens when a, it's like what you look for if a pit bull's about to attack. 
you can tell it's condescending. You can tell she's just she is she is uh, just exuding the, what I would call the Dolores Umbridge energy, right? The condescending, smiling, hateful, bigoted, vicious sort of talking. You see what I'm saying? You know what I'm saying? So you don't even need to hear what she's saying, right? Think she's a loving, joyful person? Or do you think she's a conniving, deeply unhappy human rat? Just from her visuals and the crazy eye. Let's hear what she's saying, though. Let's listen to her for 14 seconds. Clip number six. She's got a question for us Trumpers. Well, she's going to stump us with this one. Oh, what's she gonna ask? I keep asking this question, and none of you can answer it. Oh, we can't answer Not it. Not one of you. You just really? get on there and bark like Trumpers. Oh yeah. When was America great? Any clarification? Thanks. 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 I need clarification. Thanks. When was America ever great? Can't answer it. Can you? Uh, gee, I don't know. Uh, when was America ever great? When was America ever great? Gee, I mean, I guess. I guess it was when we uh, won the Second World War with a, a nuclear bomb and we're standing astride the entire populated areas of the globe with dudes from Kansas and Ohio serving as supreme dictators in our conquered territory. I guess it was when we landed on the frickin' moon. You know, I guess it was when we had the highest standard of living and the highest community participation and the highest economy and are in control of the entire world. When was America great? If America's not great, nobody's ever been great. If America wasn't great in the 50s and 60s, no one has ever been great ever and greatness is an illusion. America is great, you witch. Hey, let me start by saying you do a great show. Thank you. Hey, let me point out that I took X2 iodine. I started taking that stuff. The best iodine I think I ever found is what you guys are selling. When did you start taking and it? I, about four years ago, I had high blood pressure and I was on blood pressure medicine. Mm-hmm. And I started eating a little better, but my blood pressure stayed high. And when I took X2 iodine after about three or four weeks, I think my body detoxified of a bunch of metals and stuff that my body was storing. And my blood pressure came down to perfect level. And I tell people the only thing I did was X2 iodine. And even though I do think all your other products are good, I recommend to anybody that they start with X2 iodine because it detoxifies your body and kind of kicks your natural DNA in, into uh, full force. So in my, in my life, I found X2 iodine the best. I tried other iodines and... They didn't have the same effect, but so X to iodine, I really wanted to point that out. You're tuned in to the American Journal with your host, Harrison Smith. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. Second hour of the American Journal is on. We'll be joined shortly by Brandon Weikert to talk about the geopolitical goings on, but stick to this question of when America was great. When was America ever great? Okay. Oh, what? When black people had to drink out of different water fountains? Uh, I guess that's... It's better to not be able to drink out of water fountain than not know who your father is. That's the change we've made with the black community in this country. Is that a great thing? Have we done great things in the last 50 years? Or has it been in a slow but seemingly inevitable decline 
since the height of our power. I mean, you realize that there were a couple years there where we had the nuclear bomb and nobody else did. You get what that means? I mean, think about this. You want to talk about like the empire from Star Wars and the, and the Death Star. For years, America was the only superpower with the ability to just erase entire cities with the press of a button. And you know how great we are? You know how great we were? We didn't use it. This is the, this is the greatness of America. Not only did we have the technology to prevent the Soviet Union from ever getting the nuclear bomb, right? If you have the nuclear bomb and nobody else does, you could, if you wanted, prevent anybody else from ever getting it, right? If, if the only foreign government with the capability or the desire to get the nuclear bomb was Russia and we, I don't know, bombed them to hell with nuclear bombs, they would never get it. America could have set itself up as the supreme power on earth forever with the secret of nuclear technology. But you know how great we were? We didn't do that. We didn't do that. Instead, we actually tried to create a world that was free and free from war where nuclear bombs wouldn't be necessary or where their attainment would mean greater peace as the fear of using nuclear bombs would prevent wider conflict. It's almost impossible to overstate how great America was in the post-war years. Landing on the moon, I guess, would be one thing, but that comes second to the quality of life, the peace and prosperity that we enjoyed, the fact that literally for decades we were the supreme authority in every land that had participated in World War II, essentially. I mean, it's such an asinine question, when was America great? But I can actually show you. I actually have footage. Let's go to clip number one. You want to know when America was great? It was when we made things like this. Let's watch. Someone is going to say they want this. So this is a refrigerator from 1963 that still is in operation, still works, and still looks brand new with features that you can't find on modern uh, refrigerators, primarily because it was made out of actual steel. It was created in factories here in America. Do you understand the civilizational attainment that's necessary for this quality of craftsmanship? Pure steel, stainless steel, no plastic parts that'll just break right off. Creating a, a kitchen appliance that operates for 60 years without breaking when people were paid fair wages for manufacturing before it had been offshored to China to save a couple bucks. And somebody could afford appliances like this, as well as a house and a car with one parent working and the other parent being a homemaker. Is there anything greater than America pre-globalism? There's never been a country as great as America pre-globalism. And honestly, not even joking... The refrigerator is proof of that. It is, a, it is proof of a superior civilization in whose ruins we now live. But we can retain it. We can regain it. 
We can get it back. We can bring back the manufacturing. You're watching The American Journal with your host, Harrison Smith. Watch live right now at band.video. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. Second hour of American Journal for this Tuesday, January 23rd broadcast. Coming to you live from the InfoWars headquarters here in Austin, Texas. This is our long commercial-free segment here, so we've got a good chunk of time to talk to my guest. I'm very happy to welcome Brandon Weikert. He's a geopolitical analyst and the author of Winning Space, How America Remains a Superpower, as well as Biohacked, China's Race to Control Life, and The Shadow War, Iran's Quest for Supremacy. Brandon's also a contributing editor to American Greatness, The Asia Times, and The Washington Times. He's a former congressional staffer who holds an MA in statecraft and national security affairs from the Institute of World Politics in Washington, D.C., and he manages the Weikert Report, World News Done Right. You can follow him on X at x.com slash we the Brandon and the website is weikertreport.com. Brandon, welcome back to the show, sir. Thank you for having me again. It's such a joy to be back. And I, I loved your last segment, by the way. That was excellent. Has America ever been have you ever heard a question like America? When was America great? I mean, if America wasn't great, who was? When was anybody great if America doesn't right. doesn't fit that category? Right, exactly. And and unfortunately, our current political class are making sure that we're not great anymore. And that's part of what we're seeing on display in the Middle East. 100%, 100%. We seem incapable of having any positive effect in the Middle East. We can't get right. Israel to do any sort of pause. We can't I mean, every time we're sending Blinken or Sullivan or anybody over there with a with a mission, they announce that we're going over to demand a ceasefire and then we get nothing. And then the Houthis, they right. put out a video today. The title of it is we will not be intimidated. They don't seem to be scared. So whether it's our enemies or our allies, we got no influence in the Middle East. I mean, is this on purpose, Brandon? What what's we're the we're the premier superpower on Earth. And yet nobody listens to us. What is behind this? Well, it doesn't help when we have, uh, you know, an Alzheimer's patient as president. Uh, nobody, you know, nobody respects him. Uh, you know, it's interesting. Donald Trump is, uh, you know, almost the same age, but yet that region feared Trump. That region did not uh, challenge Trump uh, the way it's challenging and defying and embarrassing the Biden administration. So I, I think leadership matters. Um, and I, I think that we're seeing, and, and you mentioned in your last segment, you know, that golden age of America. Well, the one thing we had, whether they were Democrats or Republicans leading us, is they were they were adults mm. and they actually believed they believed in America and they had no problem about exercising American power when it was needed and uh, exercising it responsibly, which is something that our elite today are incapable of doing. Um, as it relates to trying to get a ceasefire with Israel, my personal opinion is I'm a believer in state sovereignty, and I think that um, in any instance of a of national defense, um, I think we should just stay out of it. Just mm. let the region figure itself out. I think the biggest problem uh, in the in the post Cold War era has been that the United States has tried to behave as a peacekeeping force. And uh, there's a great essay in Foreign Affairs from 1993 uh, by Ed Lutwak, who it titled it "Give War a Chance." And what he was arguing was that actually, when Western peacekeepers move in, they actually prolong conflicts, they actually make it worse, and they actually make peace impossible. 
possible. So it's better to just stay out and let the locals figure out what they need to figure out, no matter how gruesome it may seem, because inevitably, uh, you know, all politics is local. And so I think we need to stop trying to tell the, the regional powers to get a ceasefire. And I think we should say, you know what, if you guys want to duke it out, um, you know, we have interests, we're going to protect our interests, but uh, you guys figure it out because it's not our problem. But is that even possible? Because obviously we're in, you know, the position that Israel's in without American, you know, military power and air force or, you know, aircraft carriers just off the coast of Lebanon. I mean, Hezbollah would be getting involved in a direct way. Iran would get without the specter of American, uh, you know, intervention in this. Uh, we'd be leaving Israel out to dry and, and essentially be well, completely just right. So is that even an option for us to, to leave it well, alone? So, well, when I say leave it alone, I mean at that sort of Israel-Palestine level. Um, we, and this is the basis of my book, you know, the, the issue is, is that Iran for 40 years, since its beginning, the regime there, the Islamic Republic, has been at war with the United States. Um, they are not, and it and it's it doesn't matter what we say or do, um, it's an ideological issue that that regime believes that we are, uh, basically, when they call us the great Satan, they really believe it, um, and they, they are not going to make peace with us no matter how nice we are to them or whether we let them get the nuke. So when I say leave it to the locals, I mean in that sort of Israel-Palestine context. Um, but I think the United States can and should apply diplomatic and economic pressure on Iran to kind of prevent them from making this very small fight between Israel and Hamas into a wider fight, which is what Iran is trying to do, of course, because they are supporting Hamas, they're supporting the Houthis, they're supporting Hezbollah. But it is interesting um, that Hezbollah did not open up a second front as we all thought they would, would and that was partly because the leadership of Hezbollah is afraid that the, the Americans might get involved. Um, and maybe all we need to do is make them afraid of that. Um, I, you know, th th this is a very precarious pr uh, position to be in. But um, in the case of Iran, we do not want them to run roughshod over the region. We do have interests in the region. Um, and remember, if Iran does end up sort of intervening everywhere in the region, they're bringing with them China and Russia, who are, especially China, is our big threat that we have to contend with. And we do not want them to take over that region, any region, really. And yet it seems like with the uh, interventions that we've carried out thus far, or the entire conflict in the Middle East, obviously China is sort of happy this is all going on. It's, it's weakening America's position overseas. Obviously, it's weakening our uh, moral superiority that we like to project as people around the world are, are seeing what's going on in Gaza and seeing that it's America that keeps vetoing UN resolutions and whatever. Uh, so it seems like that if if nothing changes, if just sort of what's happening now continues to happen, America, you know, Iraq is is keeping America coalition forces out. You know, they're not letting new ones come in. They've said they want right. all coalition forces out. Uh, American bases are being attacked uh, attacked on a routine basis. American soldiers are being injured, and, and casualties are yeah. are coming over. So if this continues, to me, if this continues on the path that we're currently following. You know, in a year or two, America will basically lose any foothold in the Middle East whatsoever, meaning right. losing any influence over any of the players in that region. So, I mean, is that what's going to happen? Are we just allowing that to happen and we'll just like sort of slowly withdraw like like a, a slow motion right. Afghanistan? <laughs> 
that's what you're seeing. I think uh, if Biden gets reelected, especially that's what will happen. Personally, I think we should be uh, at the very least relocating those bases in Iraq and Syria that we have. They're too dangerous. They're basically easy targets. We can't reinforce them. Um, and so I do think we should be pulling out of that. What I think we should be doing, though, as a signal to the region is we should have opened up the mother of all you know, attacks on the Houthis from the air. Um, we could have knocked out the Houthis in 72 hours with the kind of air assets we have, but we didn't. Uh, Biden is trying to, um, Biden is trying to basically uh, keep the Iranians happy by not hitting too hard their proxies, but that's actually encouraging greater violence and unrest from Iran, which is the big problem here. Because if it's contained to just Israel-Palestine or Israel versus Hamas, I think Israel can kind of resolve that on their own, but it's the issue of Iran sort of being the Svengali here, pulling all the strings. Um, that's when we have to get involved and contain them. Um, but, um, you know, the, the, the bottom line is, is as long as we are letting the Houthis kind of look like they're stronger than us, um, that empowers and emboldens Iran, and it actually risks turning this into a wider conflict. We could end this in 72 hours if we really opened up on the Houthis. Well, what, how does Saudi Arabia play into all of this? Because obviously the, they've been at war with the Houthis for a decade, yeah. uh, but they, they haven't entered into our coalition, you know, Operation Prosperity Guardian or whatever it's called, because the Houthis have said early on, and we played the clip uh, on December 3rd, the Houthis made an announcement saying, if Saudi Arabia joins the American coalition against us, we will bomb their, you know, basically there'll be no more oil coming out of the Middle East for them. We'll right. bomb their yeah, oil okay. fields and, and their their transportation. So... Uh, and, and Saudi Arabia said that there's no uh, reconciliation with Israel until Palestine has a two-state solution, which Israel has said is not going to happen. So it seems like there's a lot of uh, yeah. a lot of like different stalemate sort of going yeah. on. Like, what's going to shake this whole construct loose? Well, I think the first thing that'll shake the construct loose is a new president. I think Trump is the only president in my lifetime who figured out the Middle East. Um, you know, th they respect him. Uh, the Saudi government has close ties with him. The Israelis obviously have close ties with him. Um, and I think that if he were president, he could use that leverage to sort of bring together, uh, sort of finalize those Abraham Accords, which is actually the reason October 7th happened. Um, what happened was uh, when Biden took power, he basically, he paid lip service to Trump's Abraham Accords, which was bringing Israel and the Sunni Arabs together uh, in a security alliance against Iran. But actually behind the scenes, Biden was gutting the Abraham Accords in favor of negotiating with the mullahs in Iran. Um, and Israel kept with the Saudis trying to bring the alliance together without America. In fact, Netanyahu went to the UN three weeks before the attacks on October 7th and showed a map, and it was called the New Map of the Middle East, showing how Saudi Arabia and Israel were finalizing the security alliance begun under Trump. Um, and that's when the attack happened, because Iran could not be contained. They wanted to basically trigger a terrorist attack so that the Saudis would be forced to distance themselves from Israel before the finalization of that alliance. And so now now we are living in a situation where um, Iran is very much trying to use its proxies to prevent the Saudi-Israel marriage. And the only thing that could stop, you know, that could complete that marriage would be a new president in the United States that could make certain inducements and promises to those two parties to help 
them come together so that they can do the hard work of containing Iran while we take a step back from the region uh, without losing it. Um, but under Biden, that's not happening. And so this is the big problem is that the Houthis are also being deployed by Iran to undermine our position and to also force the Saudis to kind of uh, stay back. And the Saudis will stay back because they don't like Biden. Biden has spent the last three years humiliating Saudi Arabia uh, for human human rights violations. And so what we really need um, is, is a November, a new president. So I still have hope that, um, you know, we can we can get to the election and we can the American people can do the right thing and put Trump in because he's the mad king and the mad king is better than Mr. Magoo, especially <laughs> when we're talking about the Middle East. Well, and the, the, pro, the, the big problem with Biden being Mr. Magoo is that he's not really the one running things, is he? So is it even Biden we should be talking about here or is it Anthony Blinken or, or one of his other, you know, uh, handlers that is actually running things and negotiating and, and traveling to the area to, to, you know, try to hammer out agreements. Like, is it even Biden that we should be discussing here or is it his shadow administration that's actually running things and, well, and calling the shots? Right. You're right about the shadow administration. In fact, I, I, they're all former Obama advisors and I think that they're all being controlled by Obama. Mm. I think this is his third term. Um, and so, but my, my theory is you get rid of the president, all those people lose jobs underneath him. And then Trump can bring in the people that he thinks would be, uh, you know, best. So hopefully he gets the personnel in the second term better than he did in the first term. Um, and if he can do that, he, he can really, I think, reset the tables in the middle East and prevent world war three. Um, what we're witnessing now, and the reason I wrote the book is because I really wanted to carve out uh, an understanding for people that the Bush policies were a failure in the Middle East because they overcommitted us, and the Obama policies are a failure because basically they surrender the region to Iran, which is you know inherently hostile to us, and we will basically lose that vital region. Uh, you know, it'll become a Chinese protectorate. We do not want that to happen. Um, so the third way is what I'm talking about, the, the sort of Abraham Accord coalition. Um, I think that the real threat is China, and they're about to break out, and so what I've been advocating advocating because given how weak our industrial base is and how weak the U.S. military has become, what I've been advocating is we need to focus on China and therefore we need to, to come to a deal with the Russians over Ukraine. Ukraine has lost. Mm -hmm. uh, NATO lost it. They spooched it. Um, and we need, to, we need to also freeze what's going on in the Middle East and let our partners on the ground deal with it so that we can really refocus on preventing Iran from breaking out of this first island chain uh, because if they can get to the, the third island chain, that's Hawaii, they can have a lot of power projection into our region, and that's what they want, and we do not want to have the Chinese military having proximity to the Western Hemisphere. So we need to focus all hands on deck on China and let our allies in the Middle East handle their problems, and then let the Russians and the, and the Europeans figure out what to do with Ukraine, because we do not have the ability to do all those things. And that's to say nothing, by the way, of protecting our border. Mm -hmm. um, one of the stories I've been tracking for two years, Harrison, is um, Iran has been moving moving uranium into the hands of their proxies. In Yemen, um, it was intercepted in November 2022, a shipment of uranium going to the Houthis. It was intercepted, though, by Al-Qaeda. So now Al-Qaeda has <laughs> Iranian-made 
uranium. Uh, and then a month later, in December 2022, Heathrow Airport authorities uh, intercepted another Iranian shipment of uranium going, I think, to Hezbollah agents in, in England, um, and they were able to stop it. But those are just the two known instances. I believe Iran is shipping uranium all over the place to their proxies. We have a huge open southwest border. I think they're shipping it up through the, the broken southwest border here in the United States, handing it off to their proxies, who are then building uh, dirty bombs in our cities to detonate them when and if the big war over the Middle East initiates. Well, that would be a, uh, a very efficient way of kicking it off, right? I mean, uh, have a bomb go off, and, and obviously the people like Lindsey Graham and others in the American administration are <laughs> desperate for an open you know, war with Iran. I wonder how much of it is like nostalgia, or not maybe not nostalgia, but they're like stuck in the 80s, 90s mindset where they think it's going to be another Gulf War where we lost like 75 people and conquered a nation. But that's not the case anymore, right? As you're pointing out, I mean, Iran has sort of systematically strengthened itself over the last 40 years. We're not going to waltz in and just carpet bomb them like we did uh, Baghdad in in 2003. So, I mean, how much of this is the American leadership not being honest about the strength of our enemies? They seem we seem to be projecting this like we can just brush them aside whenever we want. Right. I mean, how true is that, though? Because uh, it's not going to be another it's not going to be Iraq War 3.0 if we go into right. the Middle East this time. It's going to be a lot harder for us, won't it? Right. Well, I think in a conventional war, we could conventionally defeat the Iranians. But again, just like Iraq in 2003, you know, you can knock out a government, but then if you break it, you own it. And we do not want to own Iran because it's going to be 10 times worse to rebuild um, and uh, basically try to, uh, you know, make Iran like Idaho. We do not want to do that. I think what we need to do, this is what I've been advocating, is replicate the strategy that defeated the Soviet Union. We we create allies in the region, and we have them, who will contain Iran and deter um, Iran, and that will allow for us to basically let Iran be strangled over time. And eventually, I think their people, just like the people in Russia overthrew the Soviet Union, eventually their people will push that government out, and it will be a new day. But the, it's a bloodless victory. We want to do what Reagan did. Reagan didn't say, I'm going to go to war with, with Russia. He said, I'm going I'm going to kill Russia basically with economics and, you know, containment. And it worked. Um, And we can do the same thing, especially because Iran is a lot weaker and smaller regionally uh, than the Soviet Union was. Uh, But but it requires us to build up our allies on the on the ground and not tear them down the way that Biden has been doing. But it seems like how I I I agree with you. You know, obviously, some sort of diplomatic or economic conflict is always going to be superior to uh, outright conventional war. But it seems like we sort of tried that in Syria with proxy armies. And the ultimate result of that is Syria invited Russia in. And now Russia is a big player in the Middle East uh, because we sort of started like Russia would never have the foothold they have in the Middle East, if not for our meddling in Syria. So what's the likelihood of uh, a backlash where we end up strengthening Russia and China uh, by by any sort of offensive move that then gives them the green light or, you know, gets the governments in the region to reach out to them uh, to ask for defense. And suddenly they have a bigger foothold in the Middle East than before. I mean, what's the likelihood of that sort of backlash happening? So. Yeah, no, what I'm talking about uh, with with Syria, the the issue was we were supporting 
ISIS, al-Nusra, al-Qaeda, um, those head choppers, um, it was not an, it was a civil war. And right. so that was a little bit different from what I'm talking about. You know, what I'm talking about is supporting the traditional state actors that we've supported in the Middle East, like the Sunni Arab states and Israel. And so I don't think it would have the kind of reaction uh, that uh, the the support for Obama, the Obama support for these the Syrian uh, resistance movements had. Um, but you're right. I mean, any move we make could it was going to compel a counter move. Um, but China's already moving into the region in force. They signed a four hundred billion dollar uh, oil deal with Iran, which allows for Chinese military personnel to go into Iran to be stationed in Iran. Uh, and then also they're moving to basically co-opt the Silicon Valley type um, uh, innovation hubs in Saudi Arabia and Israel. Israel, um, and to, as a backdoor to get into our technology that we've cut them off from. So we need to start making some bold moves. War is not the answer. I think the sort of Cold War approach of containment and deterrence against Iran is the way to go. Well, I mean, we're, we're, we're about to go to break and we'll be back on the other side with Brandon Weikert. Again, you can follow him on X at we the Brandon, and the website is WeikertReport.com, where he does the Weikert Report, World News Done Right. The book is The Shadow War, Iran's Quest for Supremacy, in addition to Winning Space, How America Remains a Superpower, and Biohacked, China's Race to Control Life. We'll be back on the other side to talk a little bit more because some of the news today... It really seems like a lot of the situation in the Middle East has been completely upended. So we'll talk about that. Things that were impossible yesterday, today seem like it's on the table. And I'm wondering what has brought about this change. I'll ask Brandon on the other side. We'll be right back with the American Journal, Infowars.com, band.video. Share the space, share the links, and we'll be right back. You know, I sit up here and I yell and scream about the New World Order and the globalists. They're planning to get rid of the borders and release a virus and have a global power grab. And you saw it all come true. But there's a inverse of that. There's not just the bad stuff I'm telling you about. There's the good stuff I'm telling you about. And just like our information is the best you're going to find out there, our supplements are amazing. So our new special in the last half of January 2024 is here. It's Real Red Pill Plus and DNA Force Plus, both 50% off. We're calling it the Supercharged Special. You can get either one of these great items at 40% off individually or together for 50% off. Now, in the time we have left, I can't tell you why they're so great and what they do for your body. Go to InfoWarsShore.com, look at the ingredients and investigate it, and then get them. It supports the InfoWar and it'll change your life. Take advantage now, InfoWarsStore.com. Infowars.com is tomorrow's news today. Putting the power of conversation into the caller's hands, you're tuned in to the American Journal with your host, Harrison Smith. Weak men create hard times. That's the uh, main takeaway I'm getting from uh, Brandon Weikert, my guest. He's on X at We the Brandon. His website is WeikerReport.com, where he does the Weikert Report World News Done Right. And the book uh, that he's written recently is The Shadow War, Iran's Quest for Supremacy. And we've been sort of breaking down the uh, bird's eye view, 30-foot view chessboard, you know, chess game that's being played geopolitically between us and China and Iran and Russia and Israel. And, you know, I mean, all these moving parts. 
But the news over the last 24 hours has been very different than a lot of the news we've been seeing over the last three or four months of, of conflict in the Middle East. Things like this. Israeli parliament stormed by hostages' families. The families of those taken hostage by Hamas during the militant group's attack on southern Israel have forced their way through the security at the country's parliament, demanding answers from lawmakers. Videos on social media show a man being restrained as he shouted at lawmakers. And we actually have that uh, video we'll go to in just a second. The incident caused the Knesset to suspend operations and, quote, shows growing frustration from the families of the hostages towards the Israeli government and the negotiations or lack thereof for the release of their loved ones. So we'll go ahead and go to this uh, video now. You can see it's uh, it's not all it's not all fun and games in Israel. They're not uh, the people of Israel are not exactly happy with the behavior of their government in this conflict. Uh, let's go now to clip number two. Here you see the guy being actually physically restrained as he yells at the lawmakers who are sitting around a conference table. The shirt he's wearing says "Bring them home now." Of course, talking about the hostages. I mean, this is, I, they're invading, they're being bodily held back as they storm in. And so just on top of that, just getting the last 24 hours, U.S. and U.K. launched fresh strikes on Houthis in Yemen. Uh, 24 Israeli soldiers killed for Israel's deadliest day of the conflict. Now Israel is actually proposing a pause in fighting as part of a hostage deal, something they have not been exactly keen to agree on before. What's going on with uh, this conflict with Israel and Gaza? I mean, it seems like yesterday there was no pause, no ceasefire. Everything is is under control. Today, we're seeing little little cracks start to appear. Is this a, a new development, or what's what's going on under the surface there in Israel? Well, the Israelis are very very good at sort of fighting these sort of counterterrorism battles. Uh, they're a lot like Colombia, which is an expert in fighting FARC. Um, so the logic that they're employing, I think, is um, very much um, not, we're not used to that, but I think that this is all part of a plan uh, where basically they ratchet up pressure for a period of time. And then basically, uh, once they think Hamas has reached a breaking point, they then say, okay, we're going to do a deal uh, to get some hostages back. Um, that tends to be the sort of the pattern here. Whether or not it works, I don't know. But that does seem to be what's going on. Well, and, and I, that's, that's true. That does seem to be their, their method. But then you have to ask, uh, how effective has their attack on Hamas been if now, you know, th- three, four months on to this conflict – they're just now receiving, you know, the biggest or deadliest day for Israel in the entire conflict with 24 soldiers killed, which, I mean, Israel doesn't have an infinite. They have a very small army in terms of actual numbers. Uh, I mean, is so it's like, is the, is their plan failing? I mean, if their plan was to sort of drive Hamas down and get them in a position where they'd be willing to negotiate with favorable terms for Israel, but if Hamas is, is out there killing 24 Israeli soldiers in a single day, maybe this plan hasn't worked as well as, uh, as they expected it to. Yeah, no, they, they went in knowing this was going to be extremely bloody. Now, the issue that I always had with the plan is they've got to worry about their northern border with Lebanon, with Hezbollah. Right. Hezbollah did not open up a second front, um, but they have thousands of missiles. And I talk about this in the book with the Precision Project, basically HMX-fueled, long-range precision-guided missiles that the Iranians helped them build. They are ready to launch. Um, Israel has an idea of where they are. The problem is the, the Hezbollah have built them near civilian sites and then also uh, they 
have spread them very far across Lebanon's countryside. So Israel does not know where all of them are. Um, the Those missiles would be used to take out uh, Israeli civilian infrastructure as well as targeting the ammonium nitrate storage facilities in the port of Haifa, mm. uh, which could render a kind of a, a nuclear-like blast to knock out that incredibly important port uh, for Israel's economy. So the longer that Israel gets bogged down in the south with a ground war against Hamas, uh, you know, they have less ability to really kind of focus uh, in protecting their northern frontier with Hezbollah. Um, and so that you're right. This is a this is a, a problematic strategy. Um, in my opinion, the Israeli government is trying to uh, basically sort of a, a kill Hamas without becoming too be out, without being seen as too sort of uh, flagrant in killing civilians. Um, but again, my view, my view is that when you have a war like this and you have a tiny country like Israel, they probably should have gone in with a massive air war and then cordoned off Gaza with their troops so that they could keep their forces in reserve for dealing with whatever threat arose in the north. Now they're heavily bogged down in a Fallujah-style ground war in Gaza which who knows when that's going to end. Um, of course, that might work in Netanyahu's favor politically because everybody knows that Netanyahu's political career is over now mm. um, and that he's basically, you know, he's been blamed for this attack. Um, he was already on thin ice with Israeli, you know, voters. Um, they, they blame him for this attack that he didn't see it coming. Um, and so now he's in a position where he's going to lose his political career. So he might be thinking, hey, maybe I can prolong this, do, you know, and 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 kind of do a long-term war that keeps people distracted from the fact that they're angry with me, um, which is, I think, part of what you're seeing in that clip is that the voters in Israel are somewhat angry. Um, but ultimately, I think from a strategic level, it was a mistake for Israel. Israel to do this kind of campaign, they should have frankly just flattened Gaza uh, and been done uh, instead of kind of prolonging this thing, because now they're, they're, they're very much at risk of a second front opening up. Well, and there's another aspect to the, the Netanyahu, uh, you know, his personal uh, preference in this, because he, as he is the, the prime minister right now, and so he's sort of uh, held hostage in a lot of ways by the people who he's... Uh, allied with in the Israeli government because if if he loses their support and they kick him out of the prime ministership or, or break their alliance with him the more right-wing uh, Likud party members who are who really want the war in Gaza if he doesn't do what they want they can kick him out then he loses the protection he has as prime minister and there are lawsuits and criminal charges awaiting him right. so sort of for his own right. uh, survival not just politically but like legally he's got to uh, appease the the more far right people in his uh, in his That's government. True. So, I mean, yeah, I, I, yeah, go ahead. No, no, I was just going to say, you're, you're right. There's a, there's certainly a political dimension that's not being talked about. Yeah. And, and of course, uh, Hezbollah, we've pointed out from the very beginning, Hezbollah is sort of the elephant in the room in a lot of this because, yeah. you know, people in this country sort of treat Hezbollah as like, oh, there's this ragtag terrorist group. But when you actually look into it and the people who know about this stuff, they'll tell you Hezbollah is the number one threat to Israel. And that's almost yeah. taking up most of their bandwidth is figuring out how to not have Hezbollah, you know, really start that that right. that second front. Right. Uh, well, what do you think? The, I mean, just we got about a minute left. What's your prognosis? What do you think is going to happen? Not what you want to have. What do you think is going to happen in the Middle yeah. East in the next little while? Um, so my my fear is that Israel has overcommitted to the south 
mm. and they're about to be surrounded by to their north uh, by Hezbollah and uh, you know Syria Iranian forces in Syria are going to start doing something and with Biden sort of already not interested in de- in working further with Israel wanting a deal with Iran he might try to push Israel away um, I think Israel is is in a very very precarious position and um, I don't know how they get out of it short of a new president coming in power here in Washington uh, to sort of mitigate this collapse of Israel. But they they are this is an existential threat. I don't even know if the Israeli government realizes how bad the situation could get very soon. And of course, that's what uh, we've been saying on this program since the beginning. And it's, you know, it's never we've never been arguing from a position of, you know, we want Israel to go away. It's like we're sitting here going, hey, Israel is making bad decisions. And then we're we're told we're anti-Israel, but man, if I was anti-Israel, I'd be going, yeah, Israel, go get bogged down in Gaza. See how well that works. It's, uh, again, weak men create hard times. I really think that's where we are. Brandon Weikert, thank you so much for being here with us. The book is The Shadow War, Iran's Quest for Supremacy. The Weikert Report, world news done right at weikertreport.com. Thank you for being with us today, Brandon. Thank you. I have been in a 28-year marathon battle with a globalist. I have come from nowhere to the very heights of politics, not just in America, but in the world. We are engaging the globalists at point blank range in the information war. But I don't deserve the credit. Yes, I've persevered, but the listeners and viewers who support InfoWars are the real reason we've had the success. We're having now the greatest victories in the fight against the new world order we've ever had. We are now entering the final mile of the marathon. And that's why today it's more important than ever to realize how important you've been in this fight and to continue in the efforts you've been carrying out and to intensify them. God bless you all. I salute you. I thank you. And I beg you to intensify what you're doing now because we are over the target and history is happening. The fight is my fight. It's your fight. It's our fight. God bless you all cellular damage from a type of free radical known as reactive oxygen species can cause decreased cellular function. DNA Force Plus contains what are believed to be the most beneficial ingredients to remedy this. Now 40% off at InfoWarsStore.com. The main ingredient in the Real Red Pill Plus is pregnenolone which occurs naturally in our body, but decreases with age. Low levels of pregnenolone are associated with fatigue and low brain function. The Real Red Pill Plus is also full of essential trace minerals to synergistically support optimal cognitive function. Now 40% off at InfoWarsStore.com. Get them both today at 50% off. The Supercharged Special. Support your health and support the InfoWar at InfoWarStore.com. You're listening to The American Journal. Watch it live right now at band.video. Yes, folks, it's Diversity Airlines now taking to the skies a vision of the idiocracy in which we now live. Don't worry, you'll have a very diverse cabin crew as you fall flaming to earth. This video by Vox Aculi, Vox Aculi on Twitter. I've been putting together these little edits. 
just juxt just juxtaposing. Just for your own edification. The dancing rainbow colored flippancy of the DEI agenda contrasted with the almost routine air disasters we're experiencing these days. It's called priorities, folks, and we have the wrong ones. Now, it's incredibly, it's incredibly troubling, but I really think it just it sort of does a great job of illustrating where, where America is right now. It's a, bunch, it's a bunch of drag queens waving a rainbow flag and twerking on the wreckage, the twisted metal bloody wreckage of a downed aircraft. It's uh, not going well. It's not going well, folks. So we're going to, of course, we're still broadcasting on Spaces. If you want to follow InfoWars on Twitter and you can join our space and request to speak. And uh, I know Chase is, uh, is in there uh, monitoring and will bring people live in the next hour. We're going to cover some uh, pretty funny stories here in this segment. Well, not funny as much as in some cases horrifying, in some cases just upsetting, but we're going to laugh either way. And then I'm going to, uh, what I really want to talk about with the uh, Twitter spaces audience is the border and what we can do about it. So if you want to, co- if you want to uh, come on and, and call in through spaces, as this is a new thing we're doing, it's, it's a new uh, program we've implemented expanding our call-in show to a Twitter Spaces show. We're going to stick to just Spaces today because I feel bad leaving people on hold while we're going to Spaces. So we're just doing pure Spaces call-ins today. So if you want to call in, you got to have a Twitter account. you got to go on Spaces, follow InfoWars, and comment on the space. Comment with what you want to talk about or what you want to say. You can keep it vague and just say, an idea for protecting the border, whatever it may be. And uh, we'll bring you up in the next hour, and we'll do that for the next hour. And we'll talk about some of the statements and some of the occurrences that have happened at the southern border in the last 24 hours, including the Supreme Court siding with the invaders over the American people. A very upsetting development, but there it is. So we'll talk about that, and we'll talk about what Tucker Carlson said about it and the response that we've seen. But there's some, just some absurd stories. Absurd stories. This story is from 2018, but somebody posted the headline yesterday. I didn't believe it was true. I didn't think it was real. I tried Googling it with sort of vague terms and couldn't find the the story. And so I thought, okay, good. There's no way this is real. I'm glad that this isn't real. But then I just searched the title verbatim and discovered it is, in fact, a real story. It's from all the way back in 2018 from nationalreview.com. Child euthanasia without parental approval pushed in Canada. Now, earlier this week or or last week, we had a story that something like 5% of all deaths in Canada were euthanasia. It's one of the leading causes of death. 13,000 Canadians were killed by their own government last year. Horrifying numbers. 13,000 people killed by their own government, put down like dogs by their own government, which is horrifying enough. And other people from Canada were actually commenting on, on a post that I made about that horrific number, the, the massive number of people euthanized by their own government. 
And people were saying, you know, euthanasia is the only procedure you can get on a moment's notice in Canada. Everything else, whether it's a broken arm or bronchitis, you're sitting in line for weeks just to get you know, meeting with a doctor. But if you want to kill yourself, well, there's spots available the next day. And this commenter was saying that's because they've been organ harvesting from the euthanasia people. So they really want to get that euthanasia done so they can get hands on your precious organs so they can sell them. It's horrifying, but when you're talking about a movement to provide a, a easy and, and official path to suicide, is anything out of the realm of possibility? Let me just read this headline again. Child euthanasia without per- parent approval pushed for Canada. With lethal injection euthanasia now legal in Canada for patients age 18 and over whose deaths are, quote, foreseeable, a vague limitation, sure to be erased eventually. And, of course, this was back in 2018. By 2023, we saw example after example of people going to the doctor in Canada and being offered death, being offered suicide instead of a cure, being offered a lethal injection rather than any actual medical intervention horrifying but true including people who were just too poor they were just too poor and the canadian government was like well if you can't afford your home would you like us to kill you you're not that poor your kidney is worth a lot if we parse out your body parts like a butcher you're an extremely wealthy man actually so yeah it's no longer foreseeable deaths it's any minor inconvenience that you can now euthanize yourself for. Eager bioethicists described a proposed protocol to govern child euthanasia once legal authority expands to include minors as it has in the Netherlands and Belgium. From medically assisted dying in a pediatric hospital, published in Oxford-based Journal of Medical Ethics, quote, in all other regards than who initiates the euthanasia discussion, our working group has at present elected to conceptualize MAID, that's medical assisted assistance in dying, as practically and ethically equivalent to other medical practices that result in the end of life. The theorization of MAID is justified on the grounds that these practices share a common purpose of alleviating unendurable suffering and facilitate the patient dying on their own terms and is reflective of our concern that the conceptualization of MAID should not place additional burdens on, uh, on the patient or function to limit the rights and freedoms to which patients are typically entitled. Remember, the issue here is whether doctors should be allowed to kill children. One would think that at a bare minimum, such homicides would require parental permission. But no, if the child is considered mature enough to make decisions, parents can be kept out of death discussions. So there's that. You know, it's just what is there to say? What is there to say? Your government is trying to create a process by which your child can kill themselves through the hospital and you can't even say anything about it, which, hey, if they can take hormones and you know, chop their healthy body parts off before they're 18, why shouldn't they be able to end their own lives? Even if they're indoctrinated into that idea by the authorities in their lives, like people who run the schools or hospitals, encouraging that practice. Just a horrifying glimpse into the cult of death 
that the globalists are building all around us. Speaking of, how's this for a headline? If this doesn't tell you what their intentions really are, I don't know what does. From the Telegraph, according to the Telegraph, carbon footprint of homegrown food is five times greater than those grown conventionally. Growing your own food in an allotment might not be as good for the environment as expected, a study suggests. Now, how could this possibly be? How could this possibly be the case? You're telling me that it's less carbon production to, like, import, you know, the the classic image is the, the peaches or whatever. It's a fruit cup that's, like, grown in Argentina, packed in Taiwan, sold in Dallas. You're telling me it's a five times greater carbon footprint to take a tomato from your garden to your kitchen than it is to ship a container ship from Argentina to Taiwan and back to America. I mean, this is absurd on the face of it because obviously the point of all of this is to destroy our ability to be self-sufficient, destroy our ability to not be dependent on the globalist supply chains and interconnecting geopolitical networks. You know, we'll touch, this, uh, touch on this again on the other side as we're about to go to commercial break. But in the next hour, we will be opening up the floor to spaces. So make sure to request now to speak. Leave your comments saying what you want to talk about, and we'll go to you momentarily. In the meantime, let me remind you to go to InfoWarsStore.com. It is the only way that we get funding. It is from you, the American people. When you go to InfoWarsStore.com, there's something for everyone. DNA Force Plus, Real Red Pill Plus, both 40% off. Get them together. It's 50% off. Winter Sun Plus is the incredible natural D3. Uh, I'm sorry, vitamin d supplement then there's vitamin d3 gummies that are 40 percent off and those are selling out very quickly so a lot of vitamin d options turbo force plus 40 percent off massive discounts and you keep us on air at infowarsstore.com one of the most frustrating things about being awake to the globalist agenda is seeing the general public still asleep by and large not aware of the magnitude of the incredible danger they're under but also the ongoing attacks and the magnitude of the death caused by the lethal injections masquerading as vaccines. It is so frustrating to see people going about their daily lives oblivious. And you realize ignorance is not bliss, it equals death. But people are starting to really understand how serious things are. And that's that's a hard thing to do because to wake up to a dystopic reality and realize that we're in the middle of a giant biological weapons war against humanity and that there's mass sterilization that's already taken place and they're cutting off all the major energy sources is really hard to deal with, but it's the reality. Facing it is our only chance to turn this around because stuff's about to get really, really nasty. Infowars.com. 